Christian. Some of us old-timers will remember that Frank Sinatra classic simply titled Love and Marriage. And what the song says in a cute way, Scripture claims with divine power, and that is that love and marriage do go together. I want to focus our attention this morning on married men and potentially married men. I want us to think about walking worthily before God in our marriages. How to show love to our wives and how to do love every day of our lives together. This message is primarily for married men, but it also applies to anyone who needs to know more about loving like Christ loves. And I think that includes all of us, men and women, young and old alike. We're going to examine from Paul's letter to the Ephesians here in chapter 5 four ways to do love and put love and marriage together all day, every day. So Ephesians chapter 5, I want to read verses 25 through 31 as we begin the message. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of His body. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The first way that we can love our mates in marriage, or love anyone for that matter, is through sacrifice. Paul says in verse 25 that Christ gave Himself up for her, for the church, for His bride. Paul tells us then that as married men, Jesus is our prime example of how to love. Often when we're reading and meditating upon God's Word, it's important to note what the text does not say as much as what it does say. Here the text does say that husbands are to love their wives as, or in the same way as, Christ loves the church, His bride. But notice that it doesn't say, Christ loved the church and told them so many times. It doesn't say that. Paul, led by the Spirit of God, writes that the proof of Christ's love for His church is that He gave Himself up for her. It was a willing sacrifice, like a lamb to the slaughter. He didn't resist that day in the Garden of Gethsemane when the soldiers and Judas Iscariot came. 
He didn't complain of being taken before a kangaroo court. He didn't try to appeal the wrongful conviction. He went willingly to Golgotha and willingly he allowed those soldiers to drive nails through his wrists and his feet and pin him to that rough wood of that tree. 1 Peter 2.24 reminds us that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He didn't call for a stand-in, a substitute. He allowed His own body to be nailed to that cross. He personally took it all for His bride, the church, including all of us this morning who know Jesus as our personal Savior from sin. So that's sacrifice in flesh and bones. Yes, in His case it was divine flesh and bones, God and man in one. But sacrifice can also be lived out in flesh and bones for us men in our marriages. Husbands are to sacrifice for their wives. That means then that I need to be willing to give up my wants, my desires, my pursuits in order to put hers first. It means that I need to be ready to give and not just take You'll see at the bottom of your notes and also on the screen two four-letter words that go together like love and marriage and horse and carriage. The words love does. Love for my wife means more than just saying to her, I love you, honey. Although there's a lot to be said for saying those words every day. That's great to do. But it means that I show my love to her every day. I do practical things that demonstrate that my love is real and that I'll put her first in every way that I can. John the Baptist, by the way, had the right idea when he placed himself in the right relationship to Jesus Christ. In John 3, verse 30, he said these powerful words, He, Christ, must increase, I must decrease. I think that's how husbands ought to look at the value of their wife. She must increase. Her value must increase compared to me. Not, not that I'm an unworthy nobody, but that my worth is found in lifting her up and making more of her. Since Memorial Day is just around the corner at the end of the month, I thought that this account of the sacrifice of a Medal of Honor winner would be fitting. You probably know that since the Civil War, the Medal of Honor is the highest military award given to our men and women in service who demonstrate great bravery in battle, sacrificing sometimes their very lives for fellow soldiers. So here's the story. May 26, 2008, Staff Sergeant Leroy Petrie was on a mission in Afghanistan with his unit. He was assigned to capture a high-value target from the Taliban. The operation involved about 70 rangers who encountered 40 Taliban. Almost immediately after getting out of the helicopters that delivered their unit to the attack site, the rangers came under fire. Petrie took Private First Class Lucas Robinson to help him clear a courtyard area. Three Taliban fighters were in the courtyard area 
and fired on Petrie and Robinson. Petrie was wounded by one round that went through both legs. Robinson was also wounded. Petrie led Robinson to cover and reported their wounded condition. A Taliban fighter threw a grenade that landed just 30 feet from them. It detonated and the blast knocked both men to the ground and caused further injury. Two army soldiers joined the men to check out their wounds and see what needed to be done. Another grenade was thrown by a Taliban fighter. This time it landed just a few feet away. So Officer Petrie, knowing the risk to his own life, moved toward the grenade, picked it up, and attempted to throw it in the direction of the Taliban. He later stated, and I quote, I reached over, leaned over to the right, grabbed it with my hand, and threw it as hard as I could. And as soon as I opened my hand to let it go, it exploded instantly. And I pulled back, and the hand was completely severed off. So even though the detonation amputated his right hand and sprayed his body with shrapnel, by throwing that grenade away, Petrie likely saved the other three soldiers from serious injury or death. That's sacrifice. Paul writes about self-sacrifice in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. We call it the love chapter. And I'll refer to it several times this morning since it's God's own description of love that is then illustrated in Ephesians 5 with Christ and His love for the church and husbands and their loves for their wives. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 3, If I deliver my body even to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. What that says to me is that It is possible to sacrifice without love, but it is impossible to love without sacrifice. Sacrifice means, among other things, that I want my wife to be in the forefront. I want to highlight her. I want to focus on her. I want to see her become all she can be, no matter what that takes. One thing it takes, secondly, is sanctification. Paul says concerning Jesus Christ that He gave Himself up for His bride, the church, in order that He might sanctify her. Sanctification is a big five-syllable word that simply means set apart. It's often translated holiness in the Bible. And it's a similar root word that is translated holy or to be holy. It has the same idea. To be holy or to be sanctified means to be set apart for a purpose, God's purpose. If I'm a married man, my love should look like a constant effort to put my wife in the foreground of our family picture so that others can see her more and me less. She's worthy of more attention in my eyes. That should be our attitude. Notice verse 27 with me of our passage. He also gave Himself for her that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He's not talking there about wrinkles on the face, crow's feet around the eyes. He's talking about Christ's desire to have His church, His bride, be seen as perfect 
And we are seen by God as perfect because our Savior Christ is perfect. But I want to give this illustration for us husbands here this morning. This can, and others like it down through the years, has been very special for me. I, yes, do some ironing of clothes to help Gloria out. I usually iron my own stuff. Not because she can't do it, but because I like it done a certain way. (laughs) So on Saturday nights, usually, you don't notice it this morning because I'm wearing this Compassion t-shirt, but on Saturday nights, I pick out a shirt for Sunday. I steam iron at first, and then I spray spray starch, heavy spray starch, on my shirt and take out all the wrinkles. I want that shirt to look very nice on Sundays. No wrinkles. That's exactly how God wants me to see my marriage. He wants me to see my marriage as no wrinkles. He wants me to see my wife as perfect, even though I know she's not. She's a sinner like me. That's sanctification. Sanctifying my wife means that I delight to see her wrinkle-free when it comes to how others view her. I want her personality to shine. I want her to look her absolute best. Not necessarily the way she's dressed or what makeup she has on or doesn't have on, but in the way people view her as a person. I want her to be in the limelight, not locked up in the house 24-7. Again, Paul makes two declarations about marital love, about love in general, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. He says there, love believes all things, hopes all things. In everyday practical terms, what that means is, I want my wife to know I believe in her. I want her to know that I hope that she enters into all that God has in store for her to be. It might include, for example, setting aside some funds or working some extra hours to have the money available to enable her to get further education in some field in which she has an interest or an aptitude. Paul here in this passage says in the end of verse 26 that he cleansed his bride by the washing of water with the Word. I take that to mean that my practical love for my wife involves leading her spiritually. That's my job as a Christian man, a Christian husband. It means spending time in the Word so that I know how to lead her. It means praying with her. It means answering her spiritual questions. It means helping her see herself in the Word as a woman of God. It means helping her see how she can serve the family and the church family as God has gifted her. It also means that I am to take the lead as the spiritual head of my home when it comes to going to church on Sunday or as often as we make that a priority for us. My job as the spiritual leader in the home is to challenge the family and lead the family in coming to church 
and getting involved in serving in the church and even in a practical way helping my wife get the kids ready to come to church on Sundays or on other occasions. So sacrifice and sanctification, those first two ways of love are patterned after the perfect marriage that exists between Christ and His bride, the church. The next two are practiced in the purposeful union between a godly Christian man and his bride. So the third word on our list this morning, the third way to show love in my marriage is through sensitivity. Look at verse 29. No one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Paul connects a man's love for his wife with his own inner self-preservation. We take care of ourselves. We want to eat. We want to drink liquids. We want to exercise. At least some of us do. (laughs) But it also tells us in verse 27 that Christ presents His bride as holy and blameless. By the way, that word cherish, we, we get the word nourish. The word cherish literally means to pamper. I am to pamper my wife. And my desire is to see her blameless. I'm convinced that part of cherishing our wives, pampering and protecting them, takes on the responsibility that I have as a husband to defend their honor. I cannot allow other people to attack my wife. I cannot allow other people to say unkind things about her without responding. Defending her against verbal attacks, just as I would hopefully defend her against some crazy person who wants to attack her physically. In other words, my job as a husband is to defend my wife and protect her emotionally if and when others say unkind things about her. It also means, and this is even more vital, I think, that I never talk my wife down in public. Ever. I don't say unkind things about her. I never mock her or make fun of her. If we have children, by the way, that also means that I do not allow my children to talk negatively and disrespectfully to their mother, my wife. She was my wife before she was their mother. On the contrary, I say sanctifying things about her because I want her to look her best before all others, including the kids. It also means that if I care for her emotionally, I forget things from the past that she said or did that maybe hurt me. I leave it where it was. I don't bring it up again and again to make a point or to try to win an argument. Forgetting. (laughs) Three ladies were discussing the troubles associated with getting older. One of them said, Sometimes I catch myself with a jar of mayonnaise in my hand standing in front of the refrigerator and I can't remember if I was putting it back or if I was supposed to be making a sandwich. The second lady chimed in, Yeah, I find myself on the landing of the stairs so often wondering whether I was going up or coming down. And the third one responded, Well, I'm glad I don't have that problem, knock on wood. 
Oh, that must be the door. I'll get it. The curse of forgetfulness. Forgetting isn't something that we usually think of in positive terms as a positive character trait, but that's exactly what's being described in this text. If I am sensitive to my wife, that means that I am going to intentionally forget, choose to not remember the past and things that may have been hurtful. And instead I'm going to focus on our future. I love this quote from Lewis Smedes in his book Love Without Within Limits. I said that. Yeah, I said it right. Love Within Limits. Here's what he says. Love prefers to tuck all the loose ends of past rights and wrongs into the bosom of forgiveness and pushes us into a new start. Letting go of the past and beginning here and now where we are to move again toward a reconciled life is one of the hardest things any human being is ever asked to do. Love has the power to do that. And I believe that's true. God's love in us has the power to do that. Here again is how Paul describes love in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5. He says, love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. If I may, I'd like to paraphrase Paul's words here this way. Love does not act like an out-of-control idiot. It's not not into self-improvement, but her improvement. It's not in her face and doesn't keep a ready reference guide to all the times she messed up. I have to tell you from personal experience that for me, and I think for most men, sensitivity to my wife is the toughest lesson I've had to learn in our nearly 43 years of marriage, and I'm still working on it for sure. And you can verify that with her. Many of us guys are insensitive to our wives like the man who went with his wife to a marriage counselor's office grudgingly. She was considering divorce because she felt like he was uncaring and insensitive and didn't understand the real her. And when questioned by the counselor, he responded angrily, Oh, what's-her-name here is constantly complaining that I don't pay her enough attention. (laughs) What's-her-name? That's insensitive. Women have been decided by God to be much more sensitive than men. The Apostle Peter lines up with Paul on this topic when he says in 1 Peter 3.7, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Part of that understanding takes into account that there will be days or times when she doesn't feel up to all the housework or child rearing and we need to take over and do some of those chores for her. Put the kids to bed, fix a meal, throw in a load of laundry in the washer or dryer, mop a floor, change a diaper, so that she has some time to relax, and unwind, time to feel better. If us guys can at least make the effort to be sensitive and understanding, it'll go a long way toward providing proof of our love for our wife. But the greatest need that a woman has, and all marriage counselors, biblical counselors say this, is for security. Notice verse 31 with me. 
It's a quotation from Genesis 2.24 when God established marriage with the first man, the first husband and first wife, Adam and Eve. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. One brief quote from the pen of the Apostle Paul once more on the subject of love. 1 Corinthians 13.8 Three simple words. Love never fails. Once a woman has fallen in love with a man and they've joined together publicly in marriage, she longs to know, she longs to have the affirmation that that marriage and that love will stand the test of time. Earlier, man, I said that we should never downgrade our wives in public. But there's one more thing that should never come out of our mouths ever, ever. And that's the word divorce. Don't even say it. Right from day one of our marriage, she needs to know she has the first place and the forever place in our hearts. And she needs to see that in our actions. For one thing, I need to establish a home of my own. I extend this word to those of you who aren't married yet. Men or women, actually. We are to establish our own home, not live in our parents' home. The text says he is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Cut the cord to mom and dad and literally glue myself to my wife or maybe more accurately super glue this little tube of super glue most people don't uh, realize this but this was invented in the 1940s during World War II and though this wasn't its intended purpose it was used in the Vietnam War to help stop bleeding of soldiers who were shot by the enemy And since 1998, the FDA has approved a more sterile form of it to help close wounds instead of stitches or sutures. And in our home, love will be the superglue to our marriage. And believe me, and praise God, it will heal all wounds. Jesus promised His bride, the church, in Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave you, never will I forsake you. I'm sure I don't need to tell you that the statistics on marital separation among Christians... By the way, did you notice I didn't use the D word there? The statistics are nearly identical, state by state, between Christian couples and unbelieving couples. Something's wrong with that picture. Last night, the richest fight in history took place in the boxing ring in Las Vegas between Floyd Merriweather Jr. and Manny Pacquiao. That may have been the richest fight, but the roughest fights take place in homes every day around the country between husbands and wives. And sadly, the spectators are innocent children. That's today's condition of marriage. And on the heels of this past week when our U.S. Supreme Court met to consider the subject of a definition of marriage being pressured by groups on both sides, us men need to be the standard bearers for the biblical 
definition, the biblical description of what Christ's love looks like in the home and in the church. Let me close with this illustration. Dr. Richard Selzer, in his book Mortal Lessons, himself a medical surgeon, wrote about the following event. I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh, I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening light, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself, he and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at and touch each other so generously and greedily? The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this? She asks. Yes, I say, it will. It's because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand. And I lower my gaze. He bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I'm so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her that their kiss still works. That's how God the Father loves us and loves His Son. That's how Christ loves His church. He sees our disfigured lives and loves us anyway. Oh, I hope you're glad for that. And that's how we ought to love each other and how the Holy Spirit can and will enable us to love men, women, young people. We can. Romans 5 verse 5 says, The love of God is shed abroad, broadcast in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So I can love my wife like Christ loves the church. I can love others around me in the church and out in the community. It's a huge part of our worthy walk as Christians. At the start of this chapter, Ephesians 5 verse 2 We're challenged to walk in love as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. Most women like flowers and love the smell of flowers. I personally hate them. The smell, that is. We'll have some flowers next week for moms. But men, the best bouquet you can give your wife, and you can give it to her daily, is the sweet aroma of love, the kiss that still works after so many years and so many experiences through life together. But, and I'll close with this, it's hard to love that way until you first know the love that God has for you and until you know the triune God personally through His Son, the Lord Jesus. Paul concludes his excellent essay on love in 1 Corinthians 13 in verse 13 with these words. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. The point I want to stress as we close this morning is that it takes great faith to believe that our marriage partner will stick with us for a lifetime. And we hope 
that our marriage will be a great example to others around us, especially the younger generation of our children and grandchildren. But most of all, that kind of marriage demands love, a love that does, not just says, I love you. God said, I love you, and then He proved it at Calvary. Thank Him for that love that covers a multitude of sins, yours and mine, and a love that will never end for all of eternity. Our closing song asks the appropriate question now. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to love me like that? Would you stand and sing it with me this morning? That the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I that the bright and morning star would look on me the way for my ever wandering heart? Not because of who I am. But because of what you've done, not because of what I've done, but because of who you are, I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind, still you Hear me when I'm calling, Lord, you catch me when I'm falling, and you've told me who I am. I am yours. Who am I? the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again. Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done, not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow, living lost in the ocean, a vapor in the wind, still you hear me when I'm calling, Lord, you catch me when I'm falling, and you told me who I am, I am yours. Man, if you're here with your wife this morning, turn to her and say, I am yours. I am yours. Let's sing that chorus once more, shall we?
Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling. And you told me who I am. I am yours. I am yours. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll look forward to seeing you on Mother's Day.